Hello everyone, this is Tim Dodd. Welcome to the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. Faithful to give witness to tens of thousands, yes, and to the millions that believe it. And believes in I believe that God's gloriously lived a packet until all around the world it's been circulated. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. We have Brother Tim Dodd back from Arizona. We're back in the studio at Clover the Bad Boy. Brother Tim, how are you doing? Wonderful, Brother John. It's good to be back. Always good to be home. And uh, had a wonderful trip to Arizona. Had three wonderful meetings. The first one being a brother's breakfast and a kind of a missions talk, you could say. And, you know, I'm always amazed how God puts things together. It was uh, during that missions meeting that there was a brother there, a pastor from Flagstaff, Arizona. We were in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sat down close to me at the table. And we began to, after I had spoken about missions and translation and different things and answered some questions, he asked me about a mess, uh, a language that I had mentioned from South America. And he says, what language were you speaking about? And I said, well, it's the Quechua language. And mm -hmm. he says, that's amazing. He says, I have been to South America 26 times. Wow. And I have done work in the Quechua language and we have translations. And he he was almost vibrating, Incredible. realizing how God had put this together. I didn't know him yeah. at all. Yeah. And Brother Aaron had just suggested that he come to the breakfast and he did. And so we were able to connect and I was able to connect him with brothers in Trinidad that are working with brothers in South America in the Quechua language, which is a language that has been very difficult to bring together into translation. So even when we don't know what to do, the Lord knows how to put things together. Mm -hmm. You know, the message is not a denomination, so we don't have a headquarters to tie all these things together. But we do have a headquarters and that <laughs> is the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. And he puts things together. So it was wonderful to be there. So today... Yeah, so today I think this is our first in-person interview of 2024 here in the studio because we've done remote, we've done Zoom and all that. But here we have a special guest here today. Why don't you introduce him, Brother Tim? Well, we're very happy to have our Sunday school superintendent here, Brother Richard Drake. Emphasis on super. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was going to mention something like that because... Uh, Brother Richard has a phenomenally interesting testimony, mm -hmm. and we don't usually do personal testimonies in the missions podcast, like we're more interested in the missions connection. But uh, I'm going to actually go back uh, to the beginning of Brother Richard's testimony here as, uh, as I learned about it and uh, uh, kind of ask him some questions. But Brother Richard Drake, thank you for coming. Well. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> Glad you made the time for us. Uh, you're officially retired, aren't you? Um, yes. And but you're, course, now you're working full time. And Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then I decided to go back to work. So, yeah. Okay. You're a full-time full employed retired person. Yes. Yes. All right. We'll, put, we'll leave it there. <laughs> so, thank you for fitting us into your schedule. So, glad you could be here. Now... Um, I know the Drake family because your dad was actually there when I was saved, mm -hmm. when I came into the message and your dad and your mom. And, and so, you know, we go way back to the beginning of my time in the message, 1983. But your testimony goes way back before that into the 70s um, to New Brunswick. Correct. Is, is that correct? That's where you came in contact with the message. That's, yes, that's where we came into contact with the message in, in about in the kind of the fall of 1975. Okay. And... 
and you as a family um, were introduced to the message by a, a school teacher? Yeah, there's a, a brother back east that was, um, he was a teacher, the shop teacher and the driver's ed teacher in uh, St. John, New Brunswick in the high school there where my older brother was going to school. And um, he, uh, he introduced the message to us. Um, and it was really through, um, he's, he, he had, had invited us, it's kind of a surreptitious way of doing things, yeah. but my older brother wound up being a good friend of his son. Okay. So when everybody was getting their driver's ed certificates handed out at school, he said, my goodness, Dave, I, I don't have yours here. So um, maybe you just have your family drop by the house and I'll give it to you because I've got it at home. Okay. And uh, so you, you think he did that purposely? I absolutely know for a fact he okay. did that purposely. <laughs> <laughs> he, was a, he was a great man to witness. Anywhere he could, he would witness. And okay. um, so when we came to the home, um, I've often said that... Uh, our, home, our family was introduced to the message by a sister making a snack because mm. Sister Rena was running around the house making this little snack for us as we arrived. And my mother, looking at her, who was almost at her wit's end with you know, life as it was, mm-hmm. we were denominational Christians per se, but right. an average Canadian family, we just went to church whenever we felt like it. So mm-hmm. one of those kind of things. Now, and, now, let me just fill that in for the people. Your dad was an alcoholic. yes. A heavy smoker, heavy smoker, and, and the marriage was showed the fruits of that. Yeah, so mom was a pretty hectic, nervous lady raising the kids a lot by herself because he would leave on a Monday morning to go to work, mm-hmm. and he traveled a lot, and he wouldn't come home until Friday afternoon. Right. And so she had us for the week, and it was um, and and yeah, life wasn't wasn't great at home. Um, but what my my mom had tried all kinds of things, you know the whatever, tea leaves, yoga, tarot cards, you know, whatever the case was to try mm. to find sanity. Mm. And when she was sitting in that kitchen watching this sister, she went, she recognized, she says, that woman has peace and right. I, I, I have to have what she has. And, and that started a ball rolling that, that literally brought us into the little assembly there. And, um, and not very long afterwards, then we, uh, you know, we were in, we were in meetings and, and God just moved and uh, yeah, one, one, two, three, four, all of us started to get saved. So Amen. it was a tremendous arrangement. That's Incredible. phenomenal. And that's a tremendous testimony, Brother mm-hmm. John. Amazing. You know, of a sister just living the life. You know, that's sometimes it. you wonder, how, uh, as I recently preached, how do you project love? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you create an atmosphere? Yeah. And that sister created an atmosphere and your family came into it. And yeah, exactly. That's wonderful. Amazing. It's just wonderful. So how old were you then? 14. You were 14 years old. And I think... A couple of years later, your family was moved. Yes, actually, what, uh, we had just come into uh, the word. We were all just, uh, you know, uh, you know, this brand new uh, you know, Holy Ghost experience. Something that we did not, um, uh, well, we had no idea it even existed. But mm-hmm. man, the, you know, the peace of God was phenomenal. It was a whole new life. And suddenly, Dad got the notice that he was being moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. Wow. And um, he was. Uh, what Ser- was he doing? Service supervisor for International Harvester Canada at the time. Okay. Um, and he was in industrial equipment there. And so uh, they, they were going to transfer him to British Columbia to handle the industrial equipment section of Vancouver. Mm. And it, um, Brother Samuel Johnson was actually there doing some meetings. And we had brought up our concerns. And, um, and he said, oh, no, no, no. He says, there's a, there's a fine church out there. You know, his daughter was a pen pal for Marilyn Biscoll. And so therefore... You know, Brother Ed Biscoll was the pastor there and we'd have a good time about it and whatever. So mom and dad flew out looking for a house, dropped into the church, you know, got introduced. And, and you know, like I say, the rest is history. That was 70, 
1976, I believe it was. Okay. Uh, in the just before the school year ended, so kind of like well, a did major, they have the log church at that time? Yes, or? definitely okay. it was the log church. Yeah. Now, just to for the the younger generation that's listening to this podcast, and when I say younger, I mean under 40, mm-hmm. as both of us are well past that. <laughs> but uh, uh, back in the 70s, the message was very tiny. The churches were few and far between, and the churches themselves were very small. Yes. And uh, so what we know as Cloverdale Bible Way today of five 600 people back then would have been 50 would you have 75? Yeah, maybe the 75 okay. idea. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of the beginnings. The log church would have been new. Yes, and, very new. And uh, they would have just recently moved out of the home meetings. Mm-hmm. And so so from those very small beginnings, you begin to put down roots, but you didn't stay long in no, Cloverdale. No, we were only here about, uh, I'm thinking about 18 months. And then dad was transferred again to Alberta. Uh, to take over some farm equipment thing uh, out of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And so we actually lived in Spruce Grove at the time because okay. uh, he didn't like cities. And uh, so we lived out in the country north of Spruce Grove and then we uh, commuted into services and that was Brother Harold Hildebrand's uh, church right. in uh, in Edmonton. I personally was only there about 18 months and I graduated from Stony Plain High School in, in June, June of 79 and then okay. and just packed up my bags and moved back down to Cloverdale. I've been here ever since. Right. Right, from 79 till now. Till now. Wow, phenomenal. So you lived on your own then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you grew up under Brother Biscoe's ministry from the, we'll say, 79 era. And then, obviously, you grew in the Word. When did you become involved in Sunday school? Um, a sister asked me if I would take a class for her, and I, she wanted me to talk to the children about prayer which I did, and um, I, as soon as I, uh, <laughs> as soon as I finished the class, uh, she went whistling off to Brother Biscoll and said, "Like, wow, you know, he's, you know, he had the kids' attention. Everything was great. Everything else." And Brother Ed says, "Make him teach." <laughs> so I was like, "Okay." So um, this, I had no intention of ever becoming. A, I never actually I've never had any intention of teaching anything. But yet I've literally everywhere I've been, whether whether no matter what, who I was employed with, um, even now, you know, I, I still do instruction, that kind of stuff. It's just, uh, as the scripture says, if a person has a gift that just, it makes room for itself. Exactly. And, and I mean, I know that Brother Biscoe one time, uh, you know, he, he gave me an opportunity to uh, take a Wednesday night service. And because um, I've been teaching Sunday school for a while. And, and uh, yeah, by the time I got finished the Wednesday night service, I said, mm, this is not where I want to be. So this is definitely not what I, I mean, teaching is fine, but this whole, yeah, preaching thing is not uh, not a deal. <laughs> okay. But now during those years, and perhaps even prior to that, you would travel locally within Canada, Yukon, Vancouver Island, different trips with different brothers to do outreach. Yes. And, and in fact, it, uh, I guess it was something that I kind of pushed a lot of buttons on because I'd, I'd heard how brothers used to go out and do outreach. Mm-hmm. And and there was just, to me, there was nothing more satisfying than to share the gospel with someone else. And, right. and right. so I really pushed a lot of brothers to, you know, 
let's hit the streets, let's go do things, uh, which we did. And then uh, we held outreach meetings on Vancouver Island and, and I would go over earlier with another brother and we would pass out tracks on the street and, and uh, okay. I had my guitar at the time and that kind of stuff and just the prelude coming up to the meetings. And it, um, uh, it was, a, in that, for myself, that was a tremendous growth period for me. And I know that when the church has done outreach as well, the whole passing out of tracks and taking the young people out, it, it's, right. it's worked very well for them in the same manner. It just, it really is a growth thing to be able to, to stand there and share the gospel mm-hmm. uh, with anybody, sure, really, give an account for what lays inside you, exactly, absolutely, and uh, and then you said, I think you said you traveled with Brother Harold a little bit up into the north. Yeah, he called me up one day and asked me if I was interested in going with them because he was going to go up and do some uh, missionary work amongst the native folks in uh, up toward the northern Yukon. Well, I guess it's Carmax is central. So, so you um, you were here in Cloverdale when he called you. I was, yes, okay. Yep. And so I went, uh, I flew up to meet him and then we flew up and met brother Don Bablitz and mm-hmm. we drove up the, uh, uh, I can't remember what highway that thing is called, but at any rate, we were all the way up into Carmax is where we actually held the meetings. Right. right. And um, yeah, it was a, a, another tremendous experience. It was the first time I'd been on a, with another minister on, on a set of series of meetings and just being his support. And um, was that summer or winter? It was July. Yeah. Okay. Nice time to be in the Yukon. It was a nice time to be in the Yukon. It was my first time to be up in, you know, the wee hours of the morning and seeing that it sun didn't go down. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Very true. And the roads are all gravel. Yes. At that time. And, and uh, yeah, I've been there. Um, I've driven up the Alaska Highway all the way to the Yukon, and I've, I've been ministering amongst the believers that are there. But that would have been the early era when there was very few believers in the Yukon. Yeah, that, that would definitely have been around 19... 19- 80, I think. Wow. Okay. Wonderful to hear the stories of these <laughs> these works getting started and the word being sown in these areas by these great missionaries and and the different ones that were with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so your experience with Brother Harold Hildebrandt, I'm sure, was a was a blessing. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So then, over time, and which is really the reason that we. Um, we wanted you to come in and talk to us and thank you for doing that is that you became involved in humanitarian work. And that's an aspect that we don't major on in missions. And when I say we don't major on it because our focus at Bible leaders is to get the word out, but you, and I want you to share the story of how uh, you discovered that side of the need and how it dealt with your heart. Um. So in in the uh, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, um, Brother Jenkins would go to- That's Brother Lonnie Jenkins. Brother Lonnie Jenkins, yeah. He would go into um, uh, the Ukraine, like, basically after the wall come down mm-hmm. uh, and the communist countries were opening up and the, and the outreach was moving. And I know Brother Biskel had been there as well to the, uh, the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's um, I was reading a report uh, that Brother Lonnie had put out about and he, he was talking about the economic conditions that the people were in, which was uh, pretty dire. And I just, it struck me that when I think of, of a place where, you know, I, whatever, whether it's UNICEF or whoever, whatever humanitarian organization, they would be looking at, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to see 
say we're going to talk Indochina, we're going to talk about mm -hmm. like Vietnam, Laos, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you might be talking about Central Africa. You may be talking about Bangladesh. Right. Um, those are when we think third world, countries, third world countries. Those are the places we think of. And I'm thinking these people are, you know, these people are Caucasian people, and you just don't think about that. You know, like they usually are pretty self-supportive. They they can handle it. And I'm thinking when we think of third world, we don't think of Europe. No, no, for sure. And 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 it was just. I thought, you know, these folks have been missed. Mm -hmm. And and I and to just to sit down and analyze, I mean, I want to be able to do whatever I can for God. I'm not in a position where I've got a whole lot of finances and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. going on. But if I can do it, then I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had a, you know, the, the three basic needs is food, shelter, and clothing. And right. I thought, you know, I know where I can find clothing. And so if they've got clothing, they could, should be have more money left over for the food and shelter idea. Mm -hmm. So um, I focused on that. And having previously worked in the maintenance department in the school district of Surrey, I knew a bunch of principals. I knew that kids forget clothes all the time. Lost and found items were things we always had to deal with. Right. So I went running around and gathered up a bunch of stuff and we put it together because I knew there was going to be another convention, I believe is how I labeled it, in Alushta in the Crimean Peninsula of the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And so we boxed it all up. And then I came to Bible Believers and says, I've got it ready to go, but I can't afford to send it. You know, I just need like like 150 bucks if you guys can help me out here. So they right. did. And as God would have it, the boxes actually arrived the second to the last day of that convention. Mm. And the believers could spread it on the table and take the clothes home with them, whether it fit them or their kids or whoever, I didn't really care. Was Brother Biscoe speaking at that convention? No, I believe at that particular convention, uh, Eugene Braun was there, I know. Okay. Um, Brother Jenkins, Lonnie Jenkins? Um, I'm not sure if Brother Lonnie was there or okay. if it was actually- Jason Watkins or- Maybe I was thinking Jason Watkins, yeah. but then maybe yeah. not. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that was 2001. Now, had you already been to Ukraine? Because you went to Ukraine no. at some point. I went to the Ukraine in 2003. Okay. So once um, Brother Biskel had felt that he would, he wanted to also step in and, and do a, a, a kind of a, a bigger um, or a more uh, effective, you know, uh, uh, like to give a little bit more support in that particular scenario. And I know we were already helping to build the church in Donetsk at the time. And I met him in the hallway and I said, Brother Biskel, you, you wanted to, you know, put this project together. And I said, I just want you to know that I want to be that person. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to head this thing. I have a real burden and I want to be able to see this thing take place. And so, um, so we did. And, and like I said, over the years, uh, a little over 17 metric tons of clothing that we sent over, over the years, by the time we wrapped it up. And of course the uh, invasion of Donbass in 2014 and that kind of stuff kind of put a stop to all that. Right. But I think Brother Biscoe also assisted in in the uh, I don't know it was building or purchasing of the church in Donetsk and, yes. mm -hmm. and so many things at that time through Bible believers to help to establish the believers there. And Brother Vladimir, a wonderful brother, mm -hmm. I've been there in Donetsk and have ministered for him, and and we've had some wonderful times there. So, you know, without a doubt, I know those people are not by any means wealthy in the country of Ukraine, and, no. <laughs> and uh, still. You know, mm -hmm. I think you know the, that poor country has suffered as being as is being torn from east to west, east and west, and the different invasions. So over the years, you sent a lot of goods into Ukraine. Yes, how much goods? Uh, like I said, I think it's just a little over seventeen metric tons. Seventeen metric tons of clothing yes. into the country of Ukraine. That's a phenomenal blessing. 
Brother Richard. It's, it's a, it was a lot. But, yeah. you know, it, and it was a matter of simply, um, I mean, I didn't do that. Uh, you know, God just put me in a position where I was able to, um, you know, orchestrate the the various believers that were, were mm-hmm. you know, did the, the backbreaking work basically to put right. it all together. So. so from the early 2000s to about 2014 is when this, yeah, these in, things in that, happened. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. How did you get involved in the Philippines? Because I know then, was it after that, that the Philippines began to be a burden if, say, in the same way? Well, the Philippines, um, it was a similar burden, but the brothers that were in the Philippines actually used the clothing that we sent there as um, almost bait, if I could use that okay, terminology. Okay, yeah, yeah. They, they introduced were, people to the message? Well, because they were dealing with some people that, like in the Philippines, uh, I don't want to mention the city because I might be totally wrong, but whatever. There was, okay. there's, a, there's an area of the city that's basically this this massive uh, slum area or right. whatever, and the people are just doing whatever they can sure. to exist. Yep. And uh, and to reach out to some of those people, they were just, they offered them, you know, come on in, sit, listen to the meeting, and, you know, you can have some clothing afterwards. And, uh, and of course, there's other churches there that were in, in a, uh, not in a good way either. And, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, because clothing was available, we went ahead and, and, uh, you know, we, we, we were sending it one direction. We we just we saved out all of the more, say the warm weather clothes, perhaps. Right. And uh, and those the lighter we, clothing, the lighter clothing. Yeah. And we we sent that towards the and maybe a few smaller sizes. Yeah, mind you, you know, there's uh, Brother Vern is not the smallest guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been? You've never been to the Philippines. I've not physically been to the Philippines. No. Yeah. The the if you go to their museum and see, you know, where they what type of people they come from, you would almost say pygmy size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I can and, see that. And that's, you know, I'm thinking with a healthier diet and things now over the years, the people have increased in stature generation by generation as they have over here, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, yeah, I know it's it's a lot of work to the ins and outs of getting clothes that are suitable, suitable for believers. Okay, yes. so obviously no trousers for women or anything like that. Well, one of the things that, because it wasn't just believers that donated clothing to us, right. um, that we did do an awful lot of sorting. And one of the things that we wound up doing with, especially in uh, the Ukraine, which is also the, one of the ways that I got to meet Brother Gato Van Brabant, was um, we were dealing with orphanages. Mm-hmm. And so those clothing that I didn't want to send to believers, we would just simply mark a, an O on the box for the okay. orphanage yeah. and because they were wearing that kind of clothing and they needed it too. So sure. we Wonderful. thought we can give it to it. Well, we'll just pass it along. Um, so you met Brother Guido. Um, how did you meet him? Well, there was, some, there was some saints in Ohio that knew Brother Guido was going to an orphanage in central Siberia. Okay. And Before you go any further, let me ask you to introduce the people who is Brother Guido? Where's he from? Oh, Brother Guido Van Brabant is pastor in Belgium. Was pastor. Was in pastor Belgium. in Belgium. Yeah. No, he's gone on to with to be with the Lord now. And um, but he uh, he was doing missionary work in uh, in Russia mm-hmm. as well. And just so the the saints in Ohio knew about that. Um, how that connection took place, I uh, I'm not sure. But the the sisters there were creating quilts. Because mm-hmm. sisters like to get together and make these quilts, mm-hmm. and they were actually sewing scripture verses in in the Cyrillic font into uh, which is the, the the alphabet of the of the Soviet Union, right. and they would put that in the corners of these quilts, and they were going to send these to the orphanage, but they had no idea how to get them there. Okay, but then. 
Brother Jenkins had mentioned that I was already doing some stuff, and so they sent them to me, and we repackaged them and sent them on okay. to the to the orphanage in uh, in Shushinskoy in central Siberia, which is just above Mongolia, actually. So okay. Now, did you? So you've met Brother Guido. Have you been to Siberia? Yes, in 2007. Okay. Just before we had the 2007 convention right. here. Mm-hmm. So I went with Brother Guido at that point. And, um, Tell us I, about traveling to Siberia. <laughs> it was an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, the Trans-Siberian Railway was uh, quite the adventure. And uh, uh, we, uh, Mercy, I'm not sure if your podcast is long enough no. to hear all the things we went to. We can but, turn it into two podcasts. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to, um, I met him in Moscow. Okay. Um, at the same time, so you flew to Moscow. I flew to Moscow. Okay, uh, met him there. He we we met at that location. Uh, we met some believers in the south of Moscow at that time. A little church there, and uh, Brother Igor Lancer is the pastor. Mm-hmm. And um, we uh, we went from there into uh, uh, central Siberia to uh, uh, um, boy, gotta remember what all these crazy towns are called. Um, anyway. Mm-hmm. Central it's, Siberia. Central. It's 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 literally the distance of Vancouver to Montreal. So, oh my uh, goodness, from uh, Moscow to there. From Moscow to there. So you yeah. went like all the way across the country in Canada. Yes. Yeah. Well, but you know, okay. So in consideration, Canada has four and a half time zones, mm-hmm. right? Because Newfoundland's only half an hour as opposed to a full hour. Right. Um, Russia has eleven. My goodness. And so we were, you know, crossing five time zones to get to where we were going to. And now how did you get there? Fly or? Fly. Okay. Yes. Yep. On uh, a, an airline called Aeroflot. And these yep. are definitely military aircraft that have been converted to carry passengers and they're not comfortable. Not comfortable, I can <laughs> not imagine. E- not even the closest comfortable. <laughs> um, if they're made for people that are very short stature, I suppose. But mm. uh, for, for the rest of us, it was pretty tough. Um, we got into... Uh, I'm going to, I just, why I can't remember this town. I can't remember what this town's called. Anyway, major city there. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's another 1500 miles to um, uh, Lake Baikal from there. Okay. Um, so you're 1500 miles from your destination? No, actually when we, when we got there, we got off the plane, we, we took a bus south to um, uh, okay. a place called Abakan. And then from there, some brothers picked us up in their cars and, and drove us on down a whole lot further. We eventually wound up in Shushinskoy and, and the little town of Shushinskoy in Siberia it gets claimed to fame because that's where Lenin was exiled to from the. Uh, Is it Nova, Nova, Novosibirsk? No, it's actually going to be Krasnoyarsk. Okay. I think, I think it's Krasnoyarsk. Krasnoyarsk, yeah. Okay. Yes, uh, that's the town in the middle of the room. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's where you flew to. That's where we flew to. Yeah. And then from, from there. There you got we, on the railway? We'd, the, yeah. No, actually, there we took the bus. Okay. And then from the bus, we took the railway. Okay. And uh, we met saints in Kimiervo. We met, uh, um, another town we stopped into. Ab- well, Abacan is where we switched off the bus. I know that. The brothers picked us up and took us for a drive for a little bit. Eventually, we went back on the train and we wound up in um, in Shushinskoy. And Shushinskoy okay. is where the orphanage was. Okay. Um, we met the brother that's uh, that has the little church there. His name is Brother Vitali. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he... Uh, he then got us to go into the orphanage. Um, what was really remarkable was that Brother Gita would go to Brother Vitali's place and he would then, Vitali would go to the orphanage and select certain orphans to come to his home and Brother Gita would preach to them there. Mm. There was always a conflict because they would 
They would not get back in time. They would be missing their supper or all the different kind of things because they're quite a little schedule in, a, in an orphanage and they all have to follow those things. And so when the quilts arrived, I had contacted Brother Gator and says like, what else do they want me to send? Like I can send other things there too, like other than these quilts. Mm-hmm. And so we wound up sending clothing and especially shoes. I think shoes were a big deal. Okay. Um, children's shoes? Children's shoes. But okay. then again, once again, it's an adult size, like it's, it's, it's senior high school, if you want to call okay. it that way, yeah. orphanage. So I was getting lost and found from senior high school. So mm-hmm. big deal. We just kind of put it all together in a box and away we went. And um, because the shoes showed up, Brother Guido had gone to the orphanage and the lady that was running the orphanage, she was the head principal there. She just simply says, the children can no longer leave the orphanage to go to your services. And he was so disappointed. And then she laughed at him and says, you will hold your services in the orphanage. Mm. Um, so it opened a door. It, it opened a huge door for him. Okay. So, cause he could have as many as orphans as they could fit in the room as opposed to just three or four that they could select. Okay. And so um, when I went there with him in 2007, it was, um, we did just that. We, I, I managed to go in. I did a Sunday school lesson for them, a little object lesson or whatever. And, uh, and we had a chance to meet all these kids. And um, it, was, uh, it was a very, very, very moving experience. I was going to say, yeah. it must have been very moving. Yeah, very moving. Yeah. And, um, and to see the, you know, the gospel uh, to be, and how they respond to that was just, yeah, it was pretty amazing stuff. For orphans to hear of a loving God who sent a message in the last days, a prophet and all of those things. I, I can't imagine how overwhelmingly purposeful that would be to hear that. Well, I'll give you a, a quick little testimony Brother Gato had told me. Uh, and I, when Brother Gato had, Brother, Brother Vitali had been literally kind of attacked by a, a man in, that was working in the orphanage that, that was involved with the Russian Orthodox Church. And he mm-hmm. didn't like this new religious, you know, the way they were teaching the children right. about salvation and whatever outside of the Orthodox Church. So he had Brother Vitali removed from his position um, as a teacher there, and they put him in a teacher in a uh, an elementary school or, or a, a very small, the children that are only from, say, you know, babies up to about six or seven years of age. Mm. And he says, go ahead and see how many of those you can convert then, because, you know, you're going to leave the high school students alone. Um, Brother Vitali, you know, had asked us to pray. We did. Brother Gita went there on a missions trip. Uh, I wasn't with him on that one, but when he went there, he explained to the children that, you know, they're talking small children. He said that, you know, God is a very loving God. And, you know, you know, it, whatever your circumstances in life, you ask, you pray, and God will answer. And of course, that childlike faith, Brother Vitaly mentioned that the, um, uh, you know, Russia's not a state that really, you know, embraces the religion values of any kind. And so, um, but the, uh, when he was telling the children Bible stories, uh, she, they were, they were really distressed about that. And so anyway, uh, the psychologist of the orphanage uh, told them that the children are far more stable ever since Vitelli has been here. Mm. Um, They've all settled down. They're not, the anxiety level is way lower, all that kind of stuff. And so they want the Bible stories to continue. Uh, that psychologist eventually gave her life to Christ. Wow, wonderful. Um, but Brother Vitelli, he, he later, about three to four months later, he gave us a little email that said, we're in trouble here because one of the children took what Brother Guido said to heart and he prayed that God would send his parents back. Mm. 
And within a week, his parents had showed up at the door to claim him back out of the orphanage, which lit a fire into all of the other orphans. Uh And they all started to pray that God would restore them to either a family or their family. And Brother Vitale said, I've got a real problem because we're all going to be out of a job pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) Because so many children were adopted out and all of that kind of thing. And But what happened was, is because they had to amalgamate things, Brother Vitale is now back. It was then put back into the high school. Okay. And so, uh, and then therefore, you know, everything was back to uh, the way it had been before. My, but, my. Uh, what a testimony. Powerful. Yes. Yeah, childlike that's faith. phenomenal. Yes. God answers prayer. He hears the prayers of little children. Yes. Yeah, what a merciful God. What a merciful God. That's just mind-blowing to me. I'm like, I've been here 11 years now. I've never heard this. Yeah. <laughs> That's why when we were when we were talking with Brother Richard earlier, I, I got I can't pass over this yeah. so the, these testimonies and things. This is very very important that not just the the people hear it, but um, that we have a record of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, Brother Guido's passed on. Yes, and I think some of his testimonies, you know, are for you to share, Brother Richard. And we're so thankful to have you here. Um, was it just the one trip into Siberia for you? Yes, but I'm sure that allowed you to then relate to the work that you're doing. Well, very much so, yes. Because um, there's what's um, uh, one of the things that, that I found out in a hurry in humanitarian, uh, the any humanitarian effort is that um, the people of a certain country, um, I can send them clothes from North America, but they're not going to wear them if it's not the kind of clothing that is something that they would be comfortable right. with putting on. Sure. And so um, it's, I've always tried to get as as much detail as possible of what's actually required as opposed to just kind of a shotgun approach of just mm-hmm. blowing a bunch of things out there to see what happens and uh you know it uh, it it became um and once again it just you know if god allowed me to do it then i wanted to be able to do it with all i could because there's a lot of things i see that i'd really like to do but i just don't have the wherewithal to be able to do that kind of mm-hmm. thing so mm-hmm. um well i know that uh you know, the delivery of humanitarian goods is not always easy. Um, I think your work with Brother Guido and his work with orphanages and, and that sort of thing uh, opened doors to put your gift to work and to find ways to get these things. So when the awakening began in Uganda, now let's go to the other side. Okay, true. And uh, things, you know, believers begin to come in by in droves and... Uh, it was Brother Fred Shinji that told me, you know, one of the needs we have is clothes because these sisters never wore dresses before. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to get them just even the, some secondhand dresses. And so I remember I remember exactly in the service, I, as I was recounting that, I just turned to you and I said, Brother Richard, I'm giving you this commission. Mm-hmm. Get some clothes into Uganda. But that was not easy. It, it it proved to be actually impossible. Exactly. Yeah. Because, well, because the um, uh, in order to send clothing into Uganda, it had to go through um, a very specific channel, and it had to be from a nonprofit organization to a nonprofit organization. And um, the way the government is set up in Uganda, becoming an actual nonprofit organization or charitable organization, I should say, really. Um, I think you can get to the nonprofit, but you can't get to the charitable status. Mm-hmm. Is that their the bureaucracy level is so intense, and plus they have a rule that you have to reapply every single year to keep your status. 
that they never get through the process within the year. So therefore no one ever gets to be one. And so in order to send it in, as soon as anything I sent from this point, another reason is of course it's a landlocked country. It doesn't have an ocean port. So I had to pay duty going through all the other countries that had to travel through plus duty once it got to Uganda. And they might as well just go to the shopping mall and buy it, you know, at that point. Used clothing is a big industry in Africa, Mm -hmm. in many countries, including Uganda. And so that's part of the reason they raise barriers to free used clothing. Yes. Because their people actually receive used clothing, pay taxes on it, and then they sell it. And it's kind of part of the, the retail sector in the country. And amazingly so. Everywhere you go, you see these markets where they have clothing hung up and you can see it's all used clothing mm-hmm. it's all for sale and so that was an unfortunate experience but it, it showed us the reality that you know there are a lot of barriers to just doing simple i'll just say good deeds yes and well, that, yeah, for sure what a satan's eden we live in mm-hmm. you know you just want to give people some clothes it's yeah. not it's not rocket science no no <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, there's, there's, I've, I've found it here too, uh, people that I've, I've, uh, when you do humanitarian aid things, you wind up getting contacts with various people here and, um, for to even just to go out and to hand out food to the homeless, uh, the next thing you know, the bio officer here is asking you, where's your, where's your health certificate for yeah. being able to handle food and this and that, whatever. And it gets to be really complicated. It does. It does. Brother Guido has also been in Uganda. You probably know that. Yes. And we yes. travel there with Brother Ben and Ariantwe in the southern part of Uganda. And Brother Ben and we know he's actually now the voice of Brother Branham in the Katara language. And they're doing audio translations there. And and so, you know, he, uh, Brother Guido would tell me, my good friend, Ben, he would say. <laughs> and uh, Brother Guido was a wonderful brother. Uh, yes, phenomenal brother. And just had the right makeup to the work that God had called him to and the right personality and just kind of, he wasn't pretentious. He wasn't, um, you know, difficult to deal with. He was... You know, you would almost say happy-go-lucky kind of person, but you knew him better than I did. But and extremely simple, like and like he was, um, he had a way about him to where he could say something, and it was so incredibly simple. And yet, the more you thought about it, it was incredibly profound. Exactly. And, uh, it was. It was a phenomenal. It was, it was a fantastic friend. Amen. 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 Well, we'll be able to renew acquaintances on the other side yes. when we get there. Now. A lot of your experience then, and um, and we, uh, in Cloverdale Bible Way, which Bible Believers is a part of Cloverdale Bible Way, we have a great burden for missions. And uh, you as a Sunday school superintendent have not forgotten that burden. And I know every year, uh, the people might not know this, but every year you come to me and say, Brother Tim, is there something that we can raise funds for in the Sunday school? Right. And, and that's always a blessing to me that you take the time to teach the children about offerings and about missions and supporting something. And uh, we're very thankful for that. It, it's just, uh, it seems, I mean, that when children are taught, it's my view, <laughs> that when children are taught when they're very, very young mm-hmm. um, about uh, giving, that um, 
they get to understand that there's there's it's a much bigger world than the world in which they live in. Right. And uh, for them to be able to see beyond the boundaries of their everyday life, mm -hmm. uh, to me is a very, very important thing. Um, I've watched, you know, in our Sunday school, typically the children that are going to classrooms are between four and 12 years of age. Mm -hmm. And those that are between four and eight years of age give the most. Mm. And the reason why is because right about the age of eight years old, children begin to understand the value of money. Mm. And so it's like, oh, do I, you know, and some children are just very, very good givers their entire lives. Sure. And, and other children get to a point where they suddenly go, um, wow, do I, do I, what do I do with my I my can buy money? candy or I can give it to missions. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's something that I, you know, I, I find that, uh, you know, if, uh, if some, an adult or a family or whatever receives a windfall of, some, you know, some, some unexpected money that comes in, um, you know, I'm sure they go through the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. hmm, what are we going to do with this? You know, mm -hmm. we can either do that renovation we were thinking about, or do we go on a holiday or do we support something that, you know, God is doing somewhere else. Sure. And but I guess the catch being for the children is that, you know, for instance, this this year once again we're going to be supporting the Aymara language in in right. Uh, uh, Bolivia, right in South America, yeah. and for them to understand that for fifty cents they can put a book in someone's hand, right? And so fifty cents doesn't seem like a whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, I just did. We're kind of halfway through now. We've been through five months. We got five months to go, and we're sitting at about two hundred and sixty books. Okay. And so I'll now be able to, well, I told him I would remind them next Sunday about how far we've gone. So mm -hmm. we, we did the count and I just thought, hmm, we're about on schedule for 500 books, which is, you know, kind of where we just targeted just right. to let them know. And um, so I'll say, well, you know, you're there, but I think we can do better, yeah. you know. Wasn't and, last year a record year? Well, we wanted to do 500 books. Yeah. And we wound up doing sixteen hundred books. Exactly, because the kids could finally come up with eight hundred dollars, and like, like, That's like, like it was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but but like it's uh, like I mentioned this one uh, not last year, but the year before when we first started looking at. Oh no, it was last year. Sorry. Um, one of the children just really caught the idea, and when they went, because I gave them some suggestions, you know. Mm -hmm. When families are gathered together, you can, you know, you can say, hey, you don't have any spare change in your pocket because we're getting books for the for missions. And, um, you know, ask around, do whatever, right. you know, keep your eyes out. People drop pennies on the ground. You know, it, it's yeah. the first part of a dollar. Go for it. Pick it up. And um, so anyway, uh, this little uh, girl would, when they got out of the car to go to the store, she would say, mom, hold my hand. Says, Why do I need to hold your hand? Like, you know, you're 10 years old. She says, because... I don't want to be watching where I'm walking. I want to. I want to look on the ground for money, because we need to get money for these books. Hmm. And um, and she found she was constantly finding coins. Right. And then one day she found a ten dollar bill, and she was elated, you know, and and Aye. just walking into the store from the parking lot. Um, and so some of the kids, you know, they really do catch on, and and they really start, you know, uh, catch the vision as you would call it. And um, and I think it's it, it to me. I think it's great to inspire the children to do that because then. If they're looking at, you know, how can I help someone else? Uh, I don't think they'd be quite as of um, perhaps uh, have the tendency to always be looking at, you know, what can I do for me? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, because Christianity is living for others and we wanted yeah. them to know that too. So, Amen. Well, it's wonderful. And, and uh, I've appreciated the, you know, being able to give a little hint of somewhere, some, some way, some small project. Because there's actually a lot of things that happen in missions 
that don't get the big headlines, so to speak, mm -hmm. and little projects that are happening in languages in in certain areas that you might mention it in passing, and then you know it just goes on, and we will take the funds out of uh, general missions or something to help fund a little project, just like what you did sending clothing. You know, you went to Bible believers and they gave you $150 for shipping and the clothes went off to the destination. It's the same type of thing. You know, that's not something, some great big thing that you'll write an article about or anything like that. Right. So it's, it's very, very phenomenal to see the children involved in that way. And now I have children coming into Sunday school and they're learning that aspect of things too. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, Thank you, Brother Richard, for doing that. Well, I, I think if it's, you know, if I can just inspire people to understand that it's, you don't have to be the multimillionaire to finance something. Exactly. You know, you just have to be able to do, if, if God gives you the opportunity, uh, you know, you see something that you can do, then you just do it. You mm -hmm. know, you just reach out and do it. And, and it doesn't, it's uh, all the small things. It's it's dimes, nickels, and quarters. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it it adds up. You know, the the sum of the whole is uh, you know it, the little bits and parts that you're putting in they they matter. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've known each other a long time, long before I ever came to Cloverdale. Of course, I originally came from Cloverdale, but I mean, even up north, we've hunted together. Mm -hmm. um, your wife has been up there with us and uh, with you and and you know the different families and so. But you've been a part of Cloverdale since you were basically 18 years old, 18, 19 years old. Yes. And uh, you've seen the missions burden of Brother Biscal and the different brothers that have worked with him throughout the years. So in uh, five minutes or less, give me your thoughts on missions in general and the importance of what the vision of this church is. Five minutes or less. That's a <laughs> um, well. The vision that I've seen right from the beginning was uh, getting the message itself into the hands of the people, mm -hmm. and and the really a, a, a the, the focus is not just getting the message into the hands of the people, but it's it's getting the message that they can read for themselves. So then, obviously, it has to be in a language in which they can understand, mm -hmm. and um, it it makes perfect sense to me that, you know, if this message had been brought uh, to the world in Spanish, um, I would have been out in the cold. You know, right. I just don't exactly. know Spanish at all. Mm -hmm. So I'd either have to be learning a language or, or I'd, I'd be dependent on someone, you know, putting it in my language for me. Um, I've just, uh, I've, I've watched, um, you know, back in the day when I got my first car, when I first moved down here in, uh, after getting out of high school, I bought a, an ex-taxi. Mm. It was a big Plymouth Fury and uh, a 1960s version. And, uh, and, and I could put 1,500 tapes in the trunk and the back seat when I would mm. go down to pick up the blanks from the, uh, mm -hmm. the wholesalers and bring them back so they could be reloaded with tape and, and, and duplicated. Right. Right. And uh, like I said, just any place that I could find a spot to be able to do something for the Lord, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, um, and it's, uh, I know that it's, uh, the, over the years, it's just been that way. The, the, the church as a body, in my view, has, uh, has really caught that vision. And, and therefore, they, the support that they've done 
is like in all those little tiny things because uh, all those little tiny things, it, you know, it has to happen. Yeah. I mean, the human body has got an awful lot of parts mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and one little part quits and the entire body suffers for it. Right. So like the entire body has, has really worked in, in, in as a cohesive unit to, to move it forward. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been blessed to be able to be a part of that. And to just keep, you know, keep the antennas up and uh, and looking to see what you can do, Amen. and uh, and if it if something happens to be there, then yeah, you know, jump on it, and do it. Amen. Um, but I've and and it's you know, it's not just me. It's all kinds of brothers that that uh, get involved sure. in that capacity, and it's uh, yeah. That otherwise, if the whole job was left up to one man, it just wouldn't happen. Right. If it was just Brother Biscold, and that's all he was able to, you know, that you know what what he's able to do is so much smaller in comparison to having that um, just. Uh, being able to tell the people the burden that he has, and then you can see the vision. You, you, it becomes mm-hmm. you know more clear, and then you know exactly what you're you know what you need to be doing and away you go. And and the, and he's been able to he's been able to express that that burden to the people. And um, and and yeah, from there on, it's just you know the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity. So you want to just do what's pleasing to God, and away you go. That's a phenomenal one of the phenomenal parts of Brother Biscoll's ministry is that it wasn't just about him and his preaching. It was about getting the message out to the people. And uh, that burden never subsided. And, uh, of course, that's why I came here, and et cetera. The rest of that is history. But this is uh, predates me. And there's brothers <laughs> like yourself that have worked with Brother Biscoll over the years. So thank you, Brother Richard, for joining us today. This has been a tremendous podcast. I don't know how well it's going to receive, but I want to say today I have received it very well. I've enjoyed hearing your perspective on things and all that you've been involved in over the years. Thank you. God bless you. Thank, Thank you, Brother Richard. It's great having you here. Such a blessing. I've learned so much and I've been so edified, but I want to say also both inspired and challenged. Yeah. Those are the, the two words that come to mind and, and I trust that that'll be the same response for everybody listening. Do whatever you can. That's all that matters at the end of the day is that you can do the best you can with what God has given you. I hope our listeners have enjoyed this. Until next time, shalom. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Remember, friends, the bridegroom will not come until the bride has made herself ready. She must be both called and fully dressed by the Word of God. This was another episode of the Believer's Faith Challenge Report podcast. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to hear more about what the Lord is doing around the world, please go to www.bibleway.org. That's www.bibleway.org. And subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates about what the Lord is doing. Additionally, if you desire to contact us, please email us at info at bible-believers.org. Once more, that's info at bible-believers.org. Or you can also write to us and our mailing address is Bible Believers. P.O. Box 128, Blaine, Washington, 98231. Until next time, shalom.